Thank you, thank you. It's been great tonight. Really good. Thank you, Juanma. All for that. Thanks, Kay. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Lizzie. Thanks, everybody. No, go on, no. I think we need a disclaimer that uh, all of this crackling and thing has nothing to do with us. We don't know what it's to do. I'd, we don't know what it's. We're not sure what it is. So. Anyway, so anyway, it'll keep us uh, awake, won't it? So, let's turn to James three. If you have your Bible, this is where we. Sorry, this is where we've uh, got to on uh, Sunday evenings as we're going through this really practical, instructive, down-to-earth book, uh, James. I think he shoots from the hip. He he really does tell it as it is, very, very strongly and in, in a very clear way. And um, he begins this section in James 3. We're not going to read all of the chapter. In fact, I'm going to read it as we go through the, the evening, as it were, through, through the message. We're just looking at the first 12 verses. And he begins by addressing teachers, Bible teachers. So verse 1, My brethren... Let many of you be, sorry, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. That's quite something. I'm just thinking of that. We don't tend to think of judgment for Christians. And um, there it's an evaluation type of judgment. It's not judgment of our sin as such, where we will be um, judged and condemned. But the Bible is very clear that there will be an evaluation and accountability. And James, it seems to me, begins this word on the tongue, and this is the biggest discourse on the tongue in the New Testament. And by tongue, he's talking about our words, our speech, what we say, how we say things, the way that we say things, all of that. It's all together. And it seems to me he begins by addressing teachers because teachers use words and are reliant on words to teach. And he's saying to teachers, Bible teachers, you have an awesome responsibility because you will be judged. You will be called to account for how you have taught. I will, be to, I will be called to account. I will have to give an account to how faithful I've been in my preparation, in, in my, what I teach. Um, to teach false things is an awful thing before God. And uh, so James is saying, don't rush to be a teacher. You will be called to give an account of how faithfully you've handled the Word of God. That's, I was thinking about this, is why I'm, I, I feel very, very, I'm very careful in, in, as, as best I can be in how I teach, because I don't want to teach anything that is just my, my thoughts or my specul or speculation or anything like that. Just a, a sort of a, a slight digression. Did you know that? Our words will one day be the basis by which people are finally judged. That's what Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. 
verse 36. Matthew 12, verse 36 and 37. Our words, the words of people, and here it's he's speaking particularly of the non-believer. And the words of a non-believer will be the basis on which they are judged. Ma- Matthew 12, 36 says, he's speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he says, But I say to you that for every idle word men speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. That's every single word. And you, when you think of the words that people speak, and God remembers everything, that's no problem to God. He doesn't have to think about what's said. He recalls that. And on the day of judgment, Jesus says, the words will be the condemned by which the way by which people are condemned now we might say well and, and are justified by their words and we say well aren't we justified by faith uh, by faith in Christ and and yes we are but the justification by faith that you receive actually affects your words so the words show the heart so if the heart's been transformed that will have be shown in our words but the untransformed heart the the unregenerated heart will reveal is revealed by the words that people speak and that's what he's saying so in the end it's right to say that we'll be judged by our words as to whether we go into the kingdom of god or not because the words reveal the heart of a of a person so james he begins with a word to teach us of the Bible, who use their words to teach. He then moves on to this general discourse on on speech. So James 3, verse 2. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. If anyone does not stumble in word, in his speech, he basically has become a perfect man. If anyone's able to control the tongue perfectly and control what they say, how they say it, James says they've reached perfection. Because the tongue is the last thing that men and women can control. It's something that we all have problems with. We all have problems with the tongue, with our, with, with our words that we say, how we say things. You know, we've, we've all got personal struggles in this. And it depends to some extent on personality, on background, maybe our, 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 our makeup, our genetic makeup, our personal experiences. But all of us struggle with the tongue at times. Look at verse 8. And on that, just I'll come back, come to this eventually. But uh, verse eight: No man can tame the tongue. No man. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. It's been es- I don't know if you know this, but it's been estimated that every person speaks about eighteen thousand to twenty thousand words 
a day. 18,000 to 20,000. I have no idea how they come to that. It's been said that men speak 20,000 words a day. A woman speaks 30,000 words a day. Now, don't, don't, I'm just a messenger. Don't shoot me. <laughs> but I thought it was quite low, actually. So, but, oh, sorry, I'll just uh, wash, me, wash my mouth. But our, our word, we speak words. Our words are so, we, we, it's, it's life, isn't it? And Jesus said this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's a lovely proverb. I'm going to refer to quite a few proverbs. Proverbs 15, 28 says this. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. So n nothing, nothing is more representative of the heart than the mouth, than the words that we use. And to be honest, I, I, there's no easier way to sin than with the mouth. Now, when, we, when you give your heart to the Lord, when you become a Christian... You receive, and you, you become a new creation. Your heart is transformed. You're given a new life. You're actually, you're given, we're given a new vocabulary. But there's still a battle that goes on within. Still this battle between the selfish, sinful flesh and the new nature that we have. And if, if, if we are not under the Spirit's control, then that sinful nature will win the battle. And it'll show in our words. It's a battle that we all have at times. You know, somebody, somebody says something to us that offends us. How quick we are to respond, sometimes with hurtful words ourselves. We have a proneness to talk about others. Especially in the area of, if you like, gossip. We like to talk about other people when they're not there. Warren Wearsby, he tells a story of a pastor friend who had a lady in his church who was an, 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 I can't say it, notorious gossip. And this woman should be on the phone for hours to anybody who would listen, talking about other people. One day she came to the pastor and said, Pastor, the Lord's convicted me of my sin of gossip. My tongue's getting me into all sorts of trouble and I'm going to stop it. But the pastor was suspicious. She said this a number of times before. So guardedly, he said to her, so what are you going to do about it? And very piously, she said, I want to put my tongue on the altar. And the pastor calmly replied, well, I don't think there's a t an altar big enough. So, I wonder who was the biggest sinner. <laughs> my sympathies are with the pastor. <laughs> but we, we so readily gossip, we talk about things, or people, very easily. We pass on juicy nuggets <laughs> and uh, we complain, grumble, we can be critical. I mean, who doesn't enjoy a good moan at times? It's sort of part and parcel, isn't it? We've been guilty, I'm sure, of saying things without thinking. And especially saying things without thinking of the consequences of what we've said on the other person. Of how that's affected them and how it's affected their feelings. We've 
no doubt said things in the heat of the moment, you know, or said things at the wrong time when we shouldn't have said things. We've got irritable, we've got frustrated. We've all got battles with this. If you say you haven't, well, you're also a liar. We've all got that. We've all got these problems. I've, I've said things. I, have, I look back and I think of things where I've said things out of irritation or because I've been angry or hurt. And, or perhaps I've just been selfish or proud and words have said. And, and I, I, there are times when I've looked back and I thought, I wish I hadn't said that. That's, that was wrong. I should have not said that. And there have been times, actually, when I've often thought, I wish I had said something that I didn't say. You know, it might be a word of encouragement. I should have said that. Or a word of comfort, a word of peace or something. There's all sorts of ways in which, our, by our tongue, we say, we do things by, was it omission or commission? Verse 3 says this, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder whether, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member. And boasts great things, see how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. So James, he, he takes three things in the natural world to, to illustrate the power of the tongue and the power of words. First of all, he compares it to the bit in the horse's mouth, which is so small compared to the horse and of course that bit that bridle and the bit controls the whole direction of the horse and then there's the small rudder of the ship compared to the size of the ship that rudder is so small and yet it directs and gives direction and then there's the tiny spark that can set a whole forest on fire and causes such destruction such small things that have great influence and he's saying look that's the tongue you know, the tongue, in terms of our, our body, is, is a small member, and yet it can, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Full of deadly poison. Poison infects and... Uh, kills it enters the the, the, the bloodstream and, it, and it, it it destroys health and that's what he's saying he's saying that's that's our words the power of our words words can cause harm a bishop was going to stay in the home of a vicar and his wife and so they wanted to make an impression and uh, <coughs> have everything just right for him so the wife sorted out the room where he was going to stay and he was going to stay the night, and she prepared everything really carefully, put everything in place, so it would be just perfect for him. The bishop came, and they had a lovely time together. And then after the bishop left, she went up into the room 
where he'd stayed. And she began to clear it away. And she was puzzled because on the bed there was the nice pile of towels and soaps that she'd put there just for him in a lovely pile, left totally unused on the bed. Well, she picked them up, and as she did so, a note dropped to the floor. And it was the note that she'd written for her young teenage children before the bishop had arrived, which said, if you touch these, I'll kill you. (laughs) The power of words, careless words, eh? cause all sorts of damage. It's interesting, isn't it? Man has been able to tame all sorts of things. That's That's what James said. You know, you, you have uh, snake charmers, don't you? The charm snakes. You have lion tamers. You tame ele- I don't know, do they still do lions in circuses? I don't know now. But uh, no. But uh, elephants, you know, horses, dogs, obviously. Birds can be trained to do all sorts of things, and even some to tim- talk or to mimic. Man's learned how to train, James says, to bring under control all of those wild things in nature. One thing he hasn't been able to tame is his tongue. Verse 9 says, So with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. I mean, And that is, that's the contrast, isn't it? It's almost like an anomaly that we can praise God you know, we might have been there this morning and praising God, and and then you go home or you do or you're involved in something and something happens and you say things, which is unedifying or it's wrong or it's it's said in haste or it's not kind or it's not thought um, thoughtful, and and so with the same tongue that praises God and and praises the highest thing we can use our our tongue for in terms of our our words lifting our uh, expressing our worship, and yet the same with that same tongue we can actually. Praise God and yet also curse men, as, as James said. So with it, verse 9, with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in this similitude or the image of God. Verse 10, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Where it says cursing there, um, of course, that, that, that also speaks of swearing, which is saying, as Christians, we shouldn't swear. You know, Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Uh, language, crude language, or language that offends is, is not godly. And we should be careful not to use that coarse, crude language. Ephesians 2.4.29 in the NIV says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Any unwholesome talk, which obviously must, must rule out, mustn't it, swearing and cursing and uh, crude language, because th- that's not the language of the Holy Spirit who lives within us so James says this I'll just recap Um, let's see where are we yeah let's just read again verse 9 to 12 with it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God out of the same mouth 
proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? The answer is no. Thus, no spring can yield both salt water and fresh. I was thinking of that old, if you if you loved old westerns, the the Indians used to say, "White man speaks with forked tongue," and <laughs> they sort of thing. You know, you can't trust him. He says one thing, he does another. And I think James would say that um, that forked tongue is the evidence of our sinful heart, and. Uh, we have to. That's why we have to be on our guard. And I've, I'm going to sort of close with these very practical ways, positive ways to help us fulfil the royal law of love, which James speaks about. First of all, we need to realise how much we depend on the Holy Spirit for the Spirit's power to speak with love and grace in all situations. Verse 8 says, But no man can tame the tongue. I'm glad it doesn't say no one can tame the tongue. Um, no one. There is one, isn't there? Jesus. There is someone. Um, Jesus never sinned. It's, it's an amazing thing. The more you think about that, he never, ever, ever sinned with his words, with his thoughts or his words. And the Spirit of Christ lives within us. I can't do it in my own strength, but the strength of the Spirit, power of the Spirit, can help us to control what we say and how we say things. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. We have to play our part. Secondly, and so, before we speak, we need to consider the impact of our words. How will my word what I'm saying, affect the person who's hearing. We need to think of people's feelings. We need to be sensitive to them. How is it going to affect them? That's love, isn't it? How, I don't want to do things and say things that will actually cause someone to either feel down, feel as though they're being clobbered, feel hurt, feel offended in any way. Philippians 2 verse 4 says this, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Of others. So we, we are to think of others before ourselves and to put other people's feelings and needs above our own. Proverbs 12 verse 18 says this, There is one who speaks like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. The tongue of the wise promotes health. Uh, isn't that what we want? To promote health with what we say. And to be used by the Spirit for good, not for destructive purposes. Our words can bring health. Is what I'm going to say helpful? Or is it unhelpful? Is it encouraging or is it discouraging? Is it healthy? 
or harmful. Love is always kind. You may have heard of Robert Murray McShane. He was a Scottish minister, well known in his day. He resolved that whenever a, a Christian's name was mentioned in his company, if he could say nothing good about that person, he'd refrain from saying anything about them at all. About a century, was it about a century? Maybe a bit more than actually, more than two centuries before him, Jonathan Edwards, the American minister, theologian. I remember some long time ago starting to read his resolutions. He made a number of resolutions as a young man for himself. He made 70 resolutions um, to help him live his life in a, in a very as best ways possible for Christ. And one of the resolutions he made was this, resolved, and this is how he put it, resolved, never to say anything at all against anybody, but when it is perfectly agreeable to the highest degree of Christian honour and of love to mankind. It's obviously going back years, so it's a bit oldy language. So never to, never to say anything at all, in that, and never to say anything at all against anybody, but when it is perfectly agreeable to the highest degree of Christian honour and of love to mankind, agreeable to the lowest humility and sense of my own faults and failings and agreeable to the golden rule. Often when I have said anything against anyone to bring it to and try it strictly by the test of this resolution. In other words, he resolved not to say anything that would cause hurt and harm. And then we need to remember, and I need to remember, not to speak in the heat of the moment. The number of times I've done that, as I've said before, and had to apologise. I think you've probably heard me say this before, but many of us have been converted in our actions, but not converted in our reactions. And it's our reactions that really do reveal what we like. Proverbs 15 Verse 28 says this, The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. It, it is wise, isn't it, to hold our tongue sometimes, just to, just to stop and think, especially when we're provoked. Another in Proverbs 10, verse 19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. The Living Bible paraphrases it like this. Don't talk so much. You keep putting your foot in your mouth. <laughs> Be sensible and turn off the flow. I don't know how accurate that is, but it sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah. Keep putting your foot in your mouth. And then we need to make sure that we've confessed to God those times when we've failed. And we need to repent in those areas. I was thinking of Isaiah. The moment that Isaiah was given a clear view of God in heaven, he immediately realized that his speech was dirty. Isaiah 6, 5, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. 
a man of unclean lips. He just recognized that his, his words, he, a man of, of such standing of Isaiah, recognized how far he'd fallen. And so he had to get that, the seraphim, if you remember, went and got a coal off the altar and, 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 and touched his lips with it. He needed that forgiveness. And if we say things, and I'll finish with this, if we say things that hurt or cause offence, we don't only, only have to ask for God's forgiveness, we need to get that right with each other. There has to be some restitution. This is uh, somebody called John Glass, who was the general superintendent of the Elim Church. And I read a book of his, which, and this, this came out of that. It was a really good book. He said, you say that you're over your hurt and resentment, and now you're moving on. That's good. But what are you leaving behind? The views that you expressed were based on what you understood and how you felt at the time. But now you know more. And you have natural and you have matured spiritually and your words are governed by grace. But did what you say shape the opinion and affect the attitude of others? Have you left a legacy of bitterness? It's wonderful when you can move on from resenting others to forgiving them. But what about the unhealed wounds you've left behind? The writer to the Hebrews says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Thoughtless, thoughtless words leave lasting damage. That, that should concern us greatly. And it should call for making amends by setting the record straight with those we've left festering over a situation we, we now feel differently about. That's hard to do, but we need to do it. It takes humility to go back and straighten things out. But until we do, we won't be right with God. Jesus said, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that, you, that your brother has something against you, go and be reconciled. Then come and offer your gift. And I thought that's, that's helpful. Forgiveness is one thing with God, but we need to put right what we have put wrong or got wrong. So what I'm going to say is just to finish with, why don't we just quietly take a moment and ask God's help to put a guard over our mouths, but that's not just, not just be negative, let's think about how we can be positively, how we can positively bring edifying, helpful, gentle words, kind words, refreshing words, peaceful words loving words, encouraging words, all of those things, and be used by God in that way. Well, let's just take a moment, and then we're going to sing, May the mind of Christ, my Saviour, live in me from day to day, by his love and power controlling all I do and say. Control our tongue, to control the things that we say, day by day, moment by moment. Lord, even though we know our salvation is secure in Christ and we've been redeemed and we've been changed and transformed, Lord, we know those things. And yet we find, Lord, that there are so many of those old things still there battling away. But we have the Holy Spirit too. 
And he has overcome and has power. As gr he's greater in us than, he's the, than the, the one in the world. And we thank you for that. Lord, we pray, would you help us to yield to the Holy Spirit? Especially in this area of our tongue. So that our speech is always with grace. Seasoned with salt. So that we might build each other up. And Lord, forgive us where we fail. And Lord, give us a sensitive conscience so that we are quickly grieved by our sinful words. And Lord, we pray that you'd give us the grace to seek your forgiveness and to put things right with those that we have in any way caused to stumble by our words. So, Lord, help us in this, we pray. We thank you. Lord, thank you for the enabling of the Holy Spirit. You don't leave us on our own in this. And we give you praise and glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's use the words of this beautiful hymn um, as a prayer praying for the mind of Christ and uh, thinking when we get to the verse it says may the love of Jesus fill me as the waters fill the sea him exalting self abasing this is victory and uh, that's the key isn't it filled with the love of Christ let's stand and let's sing Jesus 
that prayer. Shall we uh, pray the words of the grace to each other? Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for tonight. Thank you as well. Thanks for those who are going to make the tea and coffee. And uh, can I just say as well, thank you to Meg for many, many years <laughs> of doing our tea and coffee sorting everything out for us thank you for that although i know i haven't said thank you so yeah yeah receive our